radio? Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Okay. A little over a minute, John, in the first. Pittsburgh starting up again. A giveaway at center. There goes Camilleri. He's coming in. Robbed it back. Camilleri. Thursday, March 4th, 2021, it's another episode of your favorite hockey podcast, the Laced Up Podcast, the Laced Up Hockey Podcast, um, and uh, I am hopefully not your favorite hockey podcaster, pod, podcast, well, E, if this James is Cole. their favorite podcast, and you're not their favorite podcaster, then that would make me... Uh, possibly your favorite podcaster. I am Bruce Battaglia from, uh, ooh, I almost said a different website, mm. from the high button. <clears throat> maybe uh, maybe it's like two B minus hosts equals a better podcast than the podcast with a A host and a C host. I would agree with that, honestly, because I really liked Puck Soup uh, with Dave Lozo and Greg, and neither of them were particularly good, but they were really good together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. Like There's something to be said for chemistry. Yeah, like I would listen to to Dave on another podcast that he had at one point. I'm like, he's not very good at podcasts, but he was great on Puck Soup. Mm -hmm. And Greg, well, I guess Greg's a good podcaster. So yeah, you're you're. Does that make you Dave and I'm Greg, or who's? I guess we can be our we're both we can be our own thing. Yeah, well, no, just in that equation thing. It's like it's like on TSN. Like none of them are are particularly good, but sometimes the panel works. You know. Like I don't really think any of them are all that good, but it works because they've they've got chemistry. Do they? It's, we're told to believe that at, at least. Sure. So they used to. <clears throat> that, that they did. Certain people retired to drink margaritas. Um, speaking of uh, having chemistry, uh, it's March. Okay. That didn't work. Um, Ooh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, no, it's 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 March again, and uh, always has been really. Um, yeah, for the stopped. for the past uh, twenty three months we've just been living march 23 months yeah i don't know math doesn't really exist anymore sure have you had to do any math during quarantine no you haven't it simultaneously feels like it's been five years and that it's also been like a month like you know what i mean at the same time it feels like it's been a year like i remember everything so vividly and yet there are also like 300 of the last 365 days that are just a blur. Yeah, like, I don't feel like I've aged. Ooh, I feel like I've aged. Okay. For sure. I feel like I'm, like, a year ago, I'm, like, the same Oh, you haven't, uh, you haven't matured. Well, perhaps. perhaps. Yeah. I guess, I guess not. See, I'm, I'm a different man. Care to elaborate? I don't, I don't feel the same at all. Oh. I feel like my perspectives on a lot of things have changed. I feel Pandemic changed you. Yeah, hasn't been a good year. Hasn't been a good year, but maybe you know, maybe it'll work out in the long run. Maybe, <laughs> maybe everything happens for a reason. 
I wouldn't hold your breath. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's March. Uh, we like March, uh, if only because well, we except for the last one. Well, the last one wasn't that great. Uh, other than that, yeah, it's, it, March is pretty. Cool. Other than that, it, it <laughs> like that's what was so traumatizing last year is March is. I would say probably my second favorite month of the year. Other okay. than probably December would get the get the win for me, but that's just because I like Christmas and drinking. Uh, March is probably my second favorite month of the year. Okay. And it's not anymore. I was saying uh, to a member of my family earlier today how when I looked outside and I saw all the snow melting, that it's never going to not remind me of uh, being in lockdown ever again. Like the weather itself, the scene on my street, how it looks like that, all it reminds me of is just like, hmm, yeah, it's 6 o'clock. I would have been up for four hours uh, at this point uh, a year ago, you know? Okay. Like I'm just traumatized. I can't. I wow. can't enjoy spring anymore. Yeah. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully some some college basketball can get you back in the the swing of things for March because the March Madness tournament is going to happen. We took a year off last year. We were both devastated. Is it? No. I'll just I'll stop that now. Um. Yeah. No. They're 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 planning it anyway for sure. It looks like it's going to happen. They're going to do the. Um, NWHL thing where they they're gonna get to the finals and then have to cancel, right? Oof. I mean, mm. it's arguably when I'm uh, lightly checked out is by the end of that tournament. Sometimes, anyway, like, like if my bracket's gone to shit, I just get bitter, and I won't watch like the final eight, the final four. I'll watch the finals, but okay, you know, yeah, I just get bitter. Um, but yeah, so so that's back. That's that's always fun. We like we always like to to do the bracket thing. Uh, for March Madness, do you got a do you got a inside team that you think is the the real deal? No, no, yeah. There's, well, how I, do you how do you judge? Right? I like Villanova, so mm. I always just I normally just pick them to win anyway, whether or not I think they're going to. But uh, yeah, I don't have any inside scoop yet I, this I, year. Gonzaga's like twenty two and zero right now. You know what the ironic thing is is that I've had more time on my hands this year than ever before, and this is the least I've paid attention to college basketball since I started watching it. Hmm. I don't I don't know what's going on. Really. Is is Rodzi a, a March Madness guy? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. We may have to consider having him back in yep. the near future here. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. Uh, it's been yeah, well, that bad it has. It's I been, hope I hope his pandemic has gone better for him than apparently yours has for you. I uh, I golfed with Rod in the summer when he was home, and we compared golf scores a lot during the summer. We were talking a lot. Probably a month went by we hadn't spoken, and then. Uh, no, a few months, I guess, and then around Christmas time, I texted him to tell him that uh, uh, I had a fantasy basketball league this year, and then I asked him for some tips, and he never answered me, and then I sent him my team, and he never answered me, but he is alive and well. Hmm. Well, that's good to hear. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Rodzi Albazur, is a big fan of the podcast, and, and, and we're a big fan of him, so... Um... It's uh, not only is March Madness back in the season of March, um, the season of March, the, the month of March. Um, well, it's become a season. It's it's award season, which is taking place in March a little it, later than usual, uh, most years. Um, and uh, of course, as we have also done on this podcast uh, numerous times in the past, we like to talk about award stuff and uh, get our, our good buddy Mikey Wern on here and, and talk all about movies and and uh, you know how how Parasite is going to sweep the 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 show and and how um that one movie about the little boy that Mike likes that that one didn't win anything wasn't even nominated and he was quite upset the little boy um Jojo Rabbit no 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 uh, Steve Carell 
The little boy. Oh, beautiful boy? That's so. Well, it's not, yeah, I mean, to your credit, you've never seen the movie, have you? I have not. Yeah, to to your credit, I mean. Can you tell that by the fact that I did not know the name of it? Yeah, Timothy Chalamet is like 20 in the movie. He's not a little boy, that's for sure, but. uh, It's like a whole, like, going through life type of uh, of deal. No, you might be thinking boyhood. Boyhood's like that, but yeah, um, yeah no, uh, beautiful boy. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it. It could be nominated this year. That'd be great. You're like they could they could in theory do a uh, you know like an all star season retroactive. Yeah, like there are definitely some movies that are capable of winning awards in the past that didn't that definitely would be capable this year. But we're gonna go back and fix the the William uh, the Shakespeare in Love debacle from 1998 and mm-hmm. give it to. Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Give it to Moonlight or La La Land. I don't even remember who actually won that year because of the because of the. Uh, it was Moonlight, my guy. Good. Yeah. Sure. Because uh, I will never forget the image of Ryan Gosling, uh, laughing manically under his breath, like thinking it was just the funniest fucking thing he's ever seen in his uh, goddamn. Ryan Gosling's career. cool. Oh, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. He's cool. If you're Canadian and your name is Ryan, probably a fan. Reynolds. Ryan Graves, Canadian. Who is a oh yeah Ryan, Ryan Graves yeah <laughs> uh, I don't even think he is I don't even know if I know any Ryans like in real life Ryan Fieldy Fieldy that's probably the only Ryan I know yeah uh, yeah I Fieldy. feel like that was a really popular name when we were young but then they all just left Ryan Johnson oh I like him yeah but now if you're American and you're Ryan now I'm not so much a fan. But which Ryan Johnson am I talking about? The mm. screenwriter director or the former St. Louis Blue <laughs> or, forward from Thunder? Or, or the much more well known. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The obscure name. Uh, you know, uh, he wrote a little movie called Knives Out and, you know, a bunch of Star Wars films. Or the 700 game journeyman that played for 12 teams. In <laughs> Ooh, is that the number we're going with? It's not twelve teams. Uh, he played for. Uh, yeah, it's not twelve teams. But I mean, how many? How many? You said seven hundred games. Uh, I want to say like seven thirty, somewhere around there. Wow. Seven oh one. Oh shit! Wow, I should have stuck with my so, original. So me chirping you for saying seven hundred, you could not have been more right. If he had played one last game, you would have been on the money. Yeah. He scored thirty-eight goals in those seven hundred one games. He was a forward. <laughs> there are many defensemen who have played more games. Or less games, even, that have more more goals than he does. Oh, yeah. Who do you think has more goals, uh, Ryan Johnson or Andy Delmore? Can you give me a games played for Andy Delmore? Andy Delmore played 283 games. I'll take Ryan Johnson. It's Andy Delmore. <laughs> Is it really? Because <laughs> <laughs> Andy Delmore had two seasons, back-to-back seasons with the Predators, where he scored 16 and 18 goals, respectively. First off, he had a cannon. Didn't know that he had that many goals ever in a single season. I thought that might have been like a career total. Um, and uh, didn't know he played for the Predators. So I'm, yeah, I'm doing great. He had a cannon. Nice. Um, okay, so yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're sitting Thursday, March. You're probably all sitting at home going like, what the hell are these guys doing? Um, they're super late. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this, oh, this, is, this is way past, uh, way past time. And it's not that we're late. It's just that we were, you know, we were holding out. We were, we were waiting. You might say. Speaking of waiting, uh, Julian uh, and Stefan Wait, Claude Julian and Stefan Wait both fired. Someone <laughs> choking. What is it? Julian? Julian. You said Julian. Julian. Uh, Claude Julian. Claude. Claude J and S Wait, both let go from the Montreal Canadiens along with Kirk Muller. 
in an attempt to salvage the season, uh, apparently. Mark Bergevin playing the, the coach card for, what, the sixth time as GM of the Habs? Now, Claude Julien, uh, this, this news broke uh, last weekend. And um, let, let's start with him first because, obviously, he's the head coach. He's, he's the guy uh, running the ship. I'll, I'll, I'll say up front that I, I probably was no less confident about a coach keeping their job than I was about Claude Julien coming into the season. Like, there was a small list of guys where I thought there is, like, little chance that you, he's you, out you of the You bring run. up an interesting conversation. <clears throat> If you recall, before the season started, you had us do a game. I did. In which we had to name certain things we felt were going to happen, like yep. guys who are going to finish in the top scoring, teams that are 100% going to make the playoffs. Did I not list Claude Julien as one of the coaches that wouldn't get fired? First. He was the first <laughs> coach you listed. He was your slam dunk, ain't no way, no how. What the fuck happened here? I think it's a pretty easy answer. Carry on. Uh, he wears number 31, and he plays uh, goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens. It is it is so classic for goaltending to be the end of uh, end of a coach. Like it's, And that's all it comes down to. Like If you don't get the goaltending, you're not going to live in this league. We, no. we see it time and time again. When, like, when, name me a coach that you can think of where they got goaltending, but they still got fired. And it's Ooh. not like you have a. It's not like you have uh, an open registry of this shit. But yeah. like, when was the last time it happened? Probably Jarkalant. Yeah, yeah, that might that might be it. And but like that's it. But we were sitting here then, being like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. And again, I'm sitting here being like, "What the fuck is this?" I I'll say this much about it: is that, in my opinion, Dominic Ducharme is probably the only guy. Where I see it and I'm like, okay, if he's not on that bench and it's all due respect, if it's Kirk Muller taking over the team, and granted he was just fired, it's easy for me to pile on. But if he's the guy taking over the team, I'd be sitting here being like, what the, what the absolute fuck? Right now it's just what the fuck. Like I do think this was Ducharme's team in the long run anyway. Who, who would they fire two years down, or who would they hire two years down the road? Guy Carboneau again? Elaine Vigneault again, Michelle Therrien again, or try something new out of the KHL. Because those are the only options. God forbid they, they hire a guy who's learning French. He's got to already know French. God forbid. So this was their guy. It mm. always was their guy. So I'm okay, I'm okay with that part of it. But um, the timing is bizarre because the timing insinuates that this is a team that has a clock ticking, and I don't really think that it does. I don't see... Uh, uh, I don't see cup potential here because here's the problem is that I will admit Montreal has 12, eh, 10 good forwards and 6D that work for their system, okay? But they have a lot of guys, if you put them on other teams, they're playing way further down in a depth chart. They're not doing what they do in Montreal's system because Montreal's system works for them. You take their defense, I will die on this hill. They have... Four defensemen, I think, that play every night that arguably don't make at least half the decors in the league. And this is the this is the universally accepted best decor in the North Division. And half these guys are are not NHL defensemen. Like Joel Joel Edmondson's fucking terrible. 
Sherratt wasn't good enough to be re-signed in Winnipeg. And, uh, like, they would rather go with Nathan Beaulieu, who's terrible. So, like, I don't really think that this is a team where the clock was ticking. They need to, to get there while the window's open. The, the window isn't open for this team. This isn't a cup-contending team. Because where I'm going with this is, sure, six good, six good D for them. Uh, ten good forwards. What happens when the injuries start coming? And you don't have game-breaking talent to break the game open, which, which is fine. Teams have won the cup without a game breaker in the past. Not any time recently, but it's happened. It's been a while. Yeah. Like St. Louis maybe is your team. But St. Louis had depth where if O'Reilly was hurt, they have other centermen who can move up in the lineup that are good. They've got got like 15th, 18th forwards waiting outside the lineup, ready to go. That Where it's just like someone goes out and a new guy comes in and you've never heard of him, but he's good. The Bruins were the same thing that year. Carson Kuhlman's playing like 15 minutes a night in the playoffs. Who the fuck is that? I don't know, but he's playing pretty well. Montreal, don't they don't have those guys. Like, they just don't. Like, they don't have a strong farm system. And uh, to me, this is just a complete overvaluation of the roster that they've got. And um, I, don't, I don't know what to really make of it long term. I mean, sure, they finally won a game. What was it, last night? Ducharme got his first win. I watched those two games against the Jets, and, like, all credit to the Jets, but Montreal probably is a better team than the Jets, just in terms of their depth. They should be able to kind of give the Jets a good run for the money. They didn't, really. Mm-hmm. Like, one of those games, the shots were 41-21. <laughs> the Jets kind of controlled the pace of that game, though. A lot of those shots were from the outside. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm super skeptical about this. I don't like it. I like Julian. Maybe he lost the room, but I don't know. A couple things I want to touch on, but I'm going to go back first to uh, the comment you made about uh, hiring or replacement. Like, it, it's become not not even a joke, but, like, the whole notion that these guys have to speak French to, you know, to coach in the Montreal system. That That's going to be a bonus at the end of the day. Like, that can't be requirement number one when you're looking to, to pick a guy. If, if you've got three, four, five candidates on your shortlist and – you know what? Oh, two of them speak French. Okay, that's an edge. That's 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 something to maybe put them in the 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 step forward category. You know. Well, I get that fans have a problem with the idea of the coach not being a French speaker, but at some point these fans are going to have to get over that notion, and they bring in a translator or whatever, and they're never going to get over it until you force them to get over it. If you keep hiring French coaches, then they just never have to deal with it, and they get to bitch and moan that the coach doesn't speak French. Like, yeah, I don't know how many of these people listen to these post-game interviews and take that much weight and can't have something translated for them at this stage, but mm-hmm. um, you, it's you a look, ridiculous thought. The, the last English-speaking coach they had was Randy Cunningworth, who probably picked up a little bit of French playing in Ottawa. He's a placeholder too, right? Yeah, he's a, he's a placeholder. So, but just to kind of to build off of this is like, you, you look, look, at, look at soccer in Europe. Do you think do you think the fans give any notion to, to what language the head coach speaks? No, as long as they're winning, as long as they're getting titles and advancing to the next round and not getting relegated. The coach of the year in the Premier League last year, uh, a guy from Spain, coaching in, in in England. I don't know what team he coaches, but you know you know what I mean. Like that is the most popular sport in the world, po- possibly the most popular sport league in the world, and the coach of the year doesn't speak the same language. As the rest of the league, never mind the one team he coaches for. 
So it just kind of like I'm, I'm totally on board with uh, Ducharme. I, I think you're absolutely right in the sense that he, he was going to be the next guy up anyway. Uh, by all accounts, he should be a, a, you know, a really good coach in this league moving he, forward. He is a guy who, even though he's never coached an NHL team, has genuinely been on my radar. Of like, Yeah. Like, it's something I look at as a guy who takes interest in coaching the top 10 coaches outside the National Hockey League. Ducharme's been on that list for me for a while. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll give him credit. It's not a horrible move. But, but if, if this goes wrong, because at the end of the day, this is a guy that was on the staff with Claude Julien. You know, like I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious how thing. much he really moves the needle coming in. He was already in the dressing room. You're not getting a fresh voice. You're just getting a different voice speaking yeah. more frequently. So, like, if if this doesn't move the needle for them, and you know, a year from now we're talking about you know it not working out with Ducharme the same way it didn't work out with Dallas Eakins, um, like this this team has to kind of get its head around the idea that. Yeah, you know what? The next great coach in your franchise might not speak French. And does that mean that the GM has to come down and, and answer some of the questions? Maybe. Yeah. Or come down, sit with the guy, and, and kind of, you know, like you said, translate? Maybe. Because yeah. this, this is a storied franchise. This is a, a premier franchise in this league. And it just seems to be this constant cycle where it's just you're, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. Eventually, you got to break out of that. You got to do something different. You got to switch things up. So I just wanted to get that that notion out there because mm-hmm. it just seems to be the running story in Montreal. Uh, third third time third time fired mid season in his NHL career. Fourth time fourth time twice with the Habs, once with the Bruins, and once with the Devils. I know he coached the Devils. I just never, yeah. yeah uh, he not... was he was replaced by uh, <clears throat> Era Lou Lamorello. Oh, good. In, in 2007. How'd that go? Um. Is there something about Claude Julien, do you think, that lends himself to this idea where maybe he has this abbreviated expiration date that yeah. you got to get rid of him midseason? Like, this isn't a guy that can make it through to the end of the, yeah, I do. End of the race? Yep. Is there a reason for that? Uh, yep. Um, and it's quite simple to me. Claude Julien is in a uh, class of coach that I'll put... Um, uh, Elaine Vigneault in, I'll put, uh, well, you know what, I'd probably put Torts in there, um, probably a couple more guys if, if I thought, I mean, Michelle Terrian even, uh, a class of coach where, uh, old school to a point that, uh, they're a good fixer, short term, those are good guys to come in and, and clean up what's wrong with the team in the short term, those guys aren't teachers. Those guys, you're not learning anything from John Tortorella. I think what you learn from Claude Julien is pretty limited. They're systems coaches, and, and they know how to win. The problem is, is once they start losing, I don't really know what they actually do. Like, there are a lot of things about all those coaches that their inability to adjust, their inability to adapt. Um, I think Claude Julien has some degree of that. But I don't think that there was any getting out of this hole is what I'm getting at. And, and I do think there's something to be said for the fact that at points last year, uh, they struggled for prolonged periods. Like this is a team that I, I haven't looked this up, but I've seen it everywhere. Apparently they lost eight games in a row twice last year. How do you make it out of both those stretches? That is insane. How do you, how do you make it out of that? Like, how do they how do they even make it to the fucking bubble, first off? But secondly, <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, how do you how does he even make it past that? So if this was something that they were thinking about doing coming into the year, I think that's on Bergevin. I think if Ducharme doesn't work out, uh, for me, Bergevin's gone this offseason. 
if I'm the owner because because I there's just too much inconsistency there. I'm not going to sit here and deny that he's made good moves or anything like that. He certainly has, but I don't like the way that he's managed the team uh, in the big picture kind of thing. They've lacked direction forever, and uh, they're just getting strung along. He he is he is Brian Burke, Dave Nonis era Toronto Maple Leaf, where it's just like you know what the moves were fine, the team was never awful awful, but. And, you know, ownership was to blame there. But, like, the Habs are doing the same thing, where there's just, there's no direction, there's no, there's no real belief that this is going to be, uh, Ducharme's going to step in, he's going to clean up some things, he's going to teach them some some good systems, and next year, they're, uh, they're unstoppable. Like, they're an old-ish team that is getting older, with no super, super elite prospects that look like they're going to be game-breakers. Suzuki might get there. Kotkaniemi might get there. Romanov might get there. There's no guarantees with those guys, though. We're not talking about a, uh, you know, a young McDavid or anything here, right? They don't have anyone like that. So going back to Claude Julien, I think there is something in his DNA where he was never going to make them better in the long term at this point. And if they're not winning in the short term, then what are we really doing here? Like I understand the logic behind the the firing in that sense. But it's just like they fire him, and now we're going to wait and see what goes on with Ducharme. And if we're going to say that the coaching is the problem here, like the coaching is the only reason they were winning as many games as they were, and they're not winning. So now you get rid of your good coach. His team's going to fall apart, I think. The thing is, is that Ducharme is uh, a long-term solution here. Because uh, he's a new coach, he's not a Julian type where it steps in and everything's different day one. Like he's kind of got to find his footing and find his voice, find what he wants to do with the team. And I think he's got a lot of good ideas, but you know the clock is ticking on him, in the sense that you know where's this going? And I think we all know where it's going. This isn't a very good team. Uh, Stefan Waite was let go a few days later after initially being uh, left on the coaching staff following Claude Julien's dismissal. Uh, Stefan Waite apparently released mid-game um, two nights ago against the Winnipeg Jets during the second period he was fired. Um, GM Mark Bergevin claims that there was no animosity between him and Carey Price, though the timing does seem quite peculiar. Um, they bring in Sean Burke, who has a bit of a troubling history on his own uh, right, and I know there are some people that are pretty upset about him uh, getting a job in the NHL again, but um, in any case, uh, we alluded to it earlier that... I saw something funny with Sean Burke. It was just like, uh, seems like a weird move for a guy who was applying for GM jobs years ago. It's like, yeah, you can apply for jobs. doesn't mean you're going to get them. Who the fuck's going to hire Sean Burke to be the general manager? Pierre Maguire applies every time that there's a GM spot open. Like, what's, what's the problem here? Yeah, you got to do something with these guys, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, uh, new goalie coach in uh, for Montreal. In conjunction with the Dominic Ducharme thing and, you know, the recent play of Jake Allen, what's what's the answer here with, with Carey Price moving forward? Because this is a guy that's got six years left to $10.5 and I, I don't want to spend too much longer on the Montreal Canadiens here, but, like, this is supposed to be, like, this was the guy this is your mvp this is your we're gonna build like our forwards don't have to be great because our goalie is great and then what do you do when the goalie's not great well we'll try to lean on the forwards but there's not a whole lot that will prop us up so jake allen's played great Carey price hasn't you got a rookie head coach in the room you've got 
a goalie coach that is kind of thrown in the middle of the situation. Um, what, what's the answer here? Do you, do you kind of stick with the hot hand in a short season and, you know, have the balls to sit down Carey Price? Or do you kind of try to find a way out of this mess? Um, so what's the answer in the short term is what your question is? For Ducharme and, and Sean Burke, uh, you know, moving forward here the rest of the way. Short term, uh, I would acquire another goaltender and I wouldn't even start Carey Price. But is that easier said than done? Yeah, it might be. Like, I, I don't know Price as a person. I can't really get a read on the guy. I don't know if he's the guy where even at this point, if you did that kind of thing, he's going to snap and ask for a trade. And if he does, great. Where are you getting traded to? But, you know, Price needs to kind of get back to his game here and or a different game or just he needs to figure out some uh, very deep problems within his game because he doesn't look even close to the goalie, uh, you know what I mean, that we're used to seeing. Do I think he can do it? To some degree, for sure. He's done winning Vesna trophies, I'm pretty sure. But, um, yeah, I, like I, again, like a week ago or 10 days ago, I put him on my Olympic team as my third goalie. I think he'll get there. I don't know if Sean Burke is the guy to do it. But uh, Sean Burke is long credited as the uh, rejuvenator to Ilya Brizgalov and Mike Smith in Arizona. So can he do it? Maybe. I'm not holding my breath, but mm -hmm. we'll see. Carey Price sitting with an 8.93 save percentage through his 13 games so far this season. Jake Allen, meanwhile, eight games sitting at a 9.29. So uh, clearly having a much stronger season thus far than Carey Price. They got a couple interesting guys in the minors. I don't know if they give a shot. Like I said, like it's it's a short season. It's hard to say, but uh, boy, they got to get this figured out uh, sooner than later because you know, hot in their tails of the the Calgary Flames, um, and even you know, like for I know the games played is a is a factor, but the Vancouver Canucks are not that far behind the Montreal Canadiens anymore. Uh, you know, uh, granted they have to play each other a few more times. There's a few automatic points for that the Habs there. But... Well, that's the thing, right? Vancouver needs to actually win those games, which even even uh, Montreal without Claude Julien, I think still probably better than Vancouver at this point. Yeah. Um, switching gears, uh, we got uh, some troubling news out of Russia uh, about a week ago. Artemi Panarin uh, was accused in a Russian newspaper as uh, having assaulted a 18-year-old uh, woman in, uh, in, Ru in Russia. And it wasn't Russia, it was uh, one of those Baltic countries uh during some world uh championship type uh, type of tournament but in any case uh the accusations Latvia, i want to say was that, that sounds Latvia? that sounds yeah. right yeah something yeah uh you know up near that northern coast by finland you know like where finland is i am good with geography yes I'm trying to paint a picture for those at home it's, gotcha. it's hard to get those audio cues uh, uh yeah uh, if you uh, if you want to uh at home <laughs> google like Latvia, Lithuania, Yugoslavia area, then, then yeah. Um, so, yeah, the accusations come out. Artemi Panarin immediately takes a leave of absence from the team, which he, I believe, still has yet to return uh, as, as we speak. Uh, the Rangers and the NHL have both come out publicly and stated that they, you know, are, are pretty upset by the allegations. They stand behind Panarin. This is a story that, like, I, I think... A lot of people are reacting very quickly um, in support of Panarin, mm -hmm. which which I thought was odd because you know we've we've seen so many types of stories like these in the past where 
the initial reaction is the complete opposite where mm -hmm. you know we're not going to support uh said person well i think it was important that several people got ahead of this right away where like the story came out and then within 30 minutes there were people on twitter being like yeah, I have it on pretty good authority that this didn't happen kind of thing. And without that immediate people being just kind of like, you know, I've not confirmed, but just about confirmed that this is fabricated, that adds to your first impression, right? Mm -hmm. When we all open up the app and then fucking freak out when it's time to cancel another player. Um, you know, it's kind of important to, to consider other factors. And the other factors at least were there that there is another side to it, right? Yeah. Um so a, a really tough break for, you know, the Rangers and Panarin, uh, who was having a pretty good season by all accounts. Um, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, if, if everything comes back and, you know, he's cleared and, you know, everything is, is hunky dory for, for him, that uh, this doesn't affect his season moving forward the rest of the way, because this, this has got to be just an absolute like mind fuck at this point. You, you've gone through everything that everyone else has got, had to go through in terms of, you know the the pandemic plus you have to play in a country halfway around the world from your rest of your family and then to have these allegations come out and disrupt you in the middle of your season um boy it's gonna be hard to get back on track i would have to imagine so is this something that you think is, is gonna maybe stick with him in a negative way moving forward or is this time away kind of the answer this is him getting out ahead of it, making sure that he himself is, is more prepared to come back as a, as an athlete. Yeah. I don't know how uh, he would have been able to play through this in North America and not knowing what's going on at home. Like you'd be constantly thinking about it. So I think it's the right move to, uh, to try to go and, and deal with this and, and, you know, worry about your career, uh, you know, when, when it makes sense to do so. I mean, it, you know, it'd be one thing if you're on a one-year deal and you're trying to, you know, feed your family kind of thing but the rangers just gave this guy uh 80 something million dollars to play hockey uh, a few years ago so he'll be fine he's he doesn't need to worry about that and they're gonna have his back so uh do i think he he is bothered by this when he comes back i mean i'm sure it's gonna bother him i don't think it's gonna affect his play very much but um he is in the grouping of maybe 10 to 12 guys in the league where i think they're so good that it it's just second nature to them. And I think he's just going to come back and be a freak whenever that might be. Fair enough. Uh, I don't really have much else to add on uh, the, our time here in front. No, it's, I, it's, it's just, it's a weird story. Yeah, I mean, is. you know, I, uh, look, I, I'm, I'm just as skeptical as the next person when this stuff happens. All I'm really going to say is when I saw the name Andre Nazarov being involved, I kind of wrote off everything from the one side and I, I, uh, I believe that Artemi Panarin probably didn't do anything wrong. You mean former Tampa Bay Lightning Andre Nazarov? Uh, I don't know if he ever played for the Lightning, but I mean noted noted Russian absolute. Uh, what's a what's a nor what's a word that it would do this justice? Uh, psychopath probably uh, being involved. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not really too worried about what Andre Nazarov has to say. That guy is fucked. So. I, I'm genuinely asking this because I, I don't know, like, the former NHL player? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's kind of wild. He, he's the one, if you remember, there was a story that came out maybe two years ago, might have been on The Athletic, where former players alleged that he's, like, unstable and is, like, is, like, fucked in the head and would say, like, absolute fucked up things to them. And 
uh, arguably like delusions and things like that. I don't really know how to put it politely, but it sounds like he has a lot of issues in his head and is uh, politically motivated. And yeah, I don't know. I don't need to keep saying things. Was uh, was once traded for the uh, pick that sent uh, uh, Vinny the Cavier to the Tampa Lightning. So sure, there you sure. go. I didn't know that that was a traded pick. Yeah, the Lightning weren't actually the worst team in the league that year. They who, were the third worst. Who would have got the Cavalier? Uh, I believe it was the Panthers. Oh, dear. That's the alternate history team for Vinny LeCavalier, is those. Yeah, the Sharks sent Florida's first round pick to Tampa. You're telling me that Vinny LeCavalier could have been in that awkward uh, preseason commercial with the fucking Panther eyes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Damn, what could have been? No kidding. Uh,. <laughs> Speaking of what could have been, my transitions are pretty off today. Uh, better um, than your last one. Uh, Jordan Bennington flies off the rails uh, on Saturday night uh, against the yeah. Sharks. Speaking of unstable, ooh. Yeah, ooh wow. Um, no. Jordan Bennington wills his team to victory uh, by uh, going after... <laughs> by, by taking himself out of the net? Yeah, that's right. By going after every that member of the San Jose right. Sharks on his way off the ice. Uh, Saturday night, he got pulled. Uh, I believe it was the fourth goal against. Uh, at the time, the score was four to two for the Sharks. The Blues came back and won the game seven six. So good for them. Clearly, clearly it worked. Just, just like they drew it up. So yeah. Um, boy, that was fun to watch. Eh, that was that was wild. Yeah, it happened. <laughs> I, I'm trying. I was trying to get a read on like what Devin Dubnik's attitude was as he because they had that weird. Like that weird road tunnel in San Jose, where you got to like you yeah. had to literally go the entire length of the ice because it was the second period yeah. to go down the tunnel. Um, yeah, fuck that. That guy's nuts. Hey, goalies are weird. Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, yeah, there was. You know what? The the only saving grace for Bennington there is that they won the game. Like at least you can kind of be like, okay, that was one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen in my life. Um, and it used to happen all the time. Like, don't get me wrong. Oh, that was vintage Every, 90s Everyone in the 90s right should also yeah. be embarrassed of themselves. But, like, the thing with Bennington is just, like, you know, when you go back to 90s, like, at least with Potvin and Hextall, like, you, you look at that fight and it's like, yeah, they probably didn't need to do that, but at least they fought. You know, Bennington was just being a little bitch running around the ice, just fake punching people and stuff. Like, that That kind of got on my nerves. I 100% agreed with Dubnik there. Like, that was kind of... You know, but also Dubnik, like, to say anything about it, like, yeah, well, you let in seven goals on, like, six shots, so you don't really have any authority to say anything here either. But, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, that was just cringy, I thought. That was just, um, that was brutal. But uh, it seemed to work for the Blues, so at the end of the day, you can't really say too much about it, but uh, I didn't like it. I'm not saying that it was, you know, dirty or anything like that. He didn't do anything. He didn't hit anyone. He didn't do a thing. He was just being a little, being a little bitch. So, it it made the internet interesting. For it it did. It was. Uh, I made the highlight reel, and uh, I, I I sat there and just uh, just grinned watching the whole thing unfold. It was. It yeah, was, I watched it a few times. It was hilarious. My my favorite part was Dubnik because it was just like, that's a lot of man coming at you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. as soon as he comes on net, I'm like, oh fuck! Like we've seen goalie fights. We've never seen a fight of like those. Guys that big wearing goalie pads. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen George Rock fight Peter Worrell and shit. Like, I've seen big boys go at it. I've never seen two six-foot-four-plus goaltenders. Dubnik's, like, 250. He's huge. Big boy. Yeah. I wouldn't fuck with him. No, I wouldn't. Mm. Um, 
the NHL is slowly welcoming back fans inside buildings, mm. despite maybe the greater good. Um, with uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo approving that uh, New York arenas will be opening. So we got the Islanders, the Rangers, the Sabres, and uh, the New Jersey Devils that will be welcoming fans back, in addition to the Dallas Stars, Tampa Lightning, Florida Panthers that previously did have fans, the Hurricanes. Uh, I believe next week we'll have people back in. The Vegas Golden Knights had guys back in uh, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite of all of the, all of these, of all the teams that have come out and made a statement about allowing fans back in the building, uh, my favorite has got to be the Edmonton Oilers saying that they definitively will not put a timeline on when they will allow fans back in the building. It's not up to you guys. Like, <laughs> come on, you're not having fans in the building well, this year. Well, to some degree, it, oh well, yeah, but to some degree it is right because like, if the NHL or I guess more accurately, the province of Alberta wants to be like, yeah, you can have fans again. The The fact that the Oilers are then going to be like, okay, are we bringing fans back? Like that, that gives me comfort because like, I'm not saying it's not going to go like this, but I don't want to at least think that they're just going to open the doors the first fucking instance that they can, Right. And the Oilers are fortunate because they're one of the few teams in the league where they can keep their doors closed for a while and not really worry about going under. Like, they're in good financial state by all accounts. So they can afford to tell fans you're not coming in for at least another season till people are vaccinated and until we work out some sort of framework. But it's smart. I mean, I don't, uh, I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's this simple, but I don't, uh, I don't even know why you'd think about it if you have the option not to. I think it's uh, a better long-term solution to be as best, as safe for your fans as you possibly can, I mm. guess is what I'm getting at. And uh, This isn't very safe, I don't think. I've seen the footage. Seems like a weird thing to do, but... Now, the only thing I will say is that, by all accounts, uh, I certainly haven't seen it reported anywhere, but... I don't know the the contact tracing system in the United States, but we haven't had like a big news story about, you know, oh, half the people that went to the Florida Panthers game at BBT Arena are, you know, now infected with COVID. Like that, those types of stories haven't made their way into the public eye yet. I'm not saying that none of these fans have gone and gotten sick as a well, result of going to the hockey see, but game. They're, they're, but they're good at social distancing at that arena in Florida because they, they, they got it, lots it of practice. The same. Yeah. That arena looks fuller than it normally does. Something to do. And I'm not even making a joke. Like, I watched their game the other night against the Hurricanes. It looks it looks like there's more people there. And they look like they're having more fun. I was like, this is the best time I've had watching a Panthers game in years. Yeah. And they lost. But. Yeah. Um, so that, that that is, for me, like, I don't know anything about, like I said, their vaccination numbers down there. I know that they're far ahead of Canada in terms of the population that they have vaccinated. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that they shouldn't be doing this because there there's a clear problem happening. I'm just saying I think the problem is going to come eventually. And the more buildings that we start opening up and the more fans that we start allowing back in, like 2,000 fans in a building that holds 20,000, you're probably going to be okay, I would, I would think, if everyone's following the rules, which I'm sure they're not. Yeah. It's when you get back to that 10, 12, 15 number that I think you're, you know, even well, eight or nine, you know, like I think you're really going to have problems at that point. And that's the problem, though, right? Is like, what's the number where it's financially feasible to even sell 
tickets and open your doors. Like, is 2000 a number where, I'm not shitting you, are you actually making money at that point? Because you got to think, you got to have a lot of your vendors open, if not all of them. Because if you want to try to socially distance these people, you can't just have one, you know what I mean, one concession open on both sides of the concourse and then one open on the upper level. You got four concessions open for 2,000 fucking people. These people are still going to be side by side. You got more room to space. But it's ju- it just becomes a mess at that point. You're missing game time. What's what is it even worth then at that point? So you have to have people there. You still have to have like almost just as many people taking tickets, doing security. Now you have to have additional people screening, uh, taking your information, like all this stuff. At what point are you even making money for a lot of these teams if the ticket costs twelve dollars, kind of thing, and you're only allowing two thousand people and you're not making a lot of money? So does it make more sense to just keep your door closed for a PR move? And, and I don't know. Like, I don't Apparently I have no not. Idea. I, I, I'm not I sure. I imagine not for a lot of those American yeah. teams. Like, for Florida to open, I get it, right? Like, it's already a rogue fucking state. What's the difference if you open uh, a couple people? Like, who, who the fuck cares there? But, like, like if Philadelphia were letting in 7,000 or 6,000, I'd be worried. They're letting in, I think, 3,100 was the number. Eh, that, that's about right. Right. And that's a state that seems like it's doing okay from what I know lately. So yeah. eh, whatever, but you've, you've got, I just shopping. think in Canada, sorry to, but where I was going was just like, I think in Canada, because we're not all getting vaccines anytime soon, unless we work in healthcare. So what really, you know what I mean? Like why would the Oilers open up? I think it's smart to just say, we're going to evaluate it. Like, don't get your hopes up. You're not coming to a game next week. Like mm-hmm. to see where everything goes. It's smart to me. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think the maybe, maybe the realistic goal is to say, you know, gee, I, I sure hope we can have fans back in for the playoffs. Sure. Because that's, at that point, yeah. you're not paying the players. That's that's you know, games that you're, you know, kind of just making money, uh, you know, off the floor. So if you can have a couple thousand people, you know, bonus. You know, you know, uh, I think it. I think fans are more of an investment by the team at that point too. Right? Sure. Like you, you want you want to try to have some people. There. Yeah. But like, what, what I was going to say is, I'm I'm sure you've got these shopping venues down in the states that are open, uh, these giant malls, and you've you've got two three thousand people walking around anyway. So sure. what's the difference between that and putting them in a building where maybe you can say to them, you know, hey, uh, your section can't get up for concessions between. <laughs> You know, the, like, this is your window. Go now kind yeah. of thing. Or this half of the building can go and, and this side can't. Or No, I, I get it. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, up here in Canada, where we have the illusion that we're doing things the right way, at least, um, continue creating that illusion is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, Over, under on the Winnipeg Jets being the first team back with uh, fans in the building uh, in Canada. Is Manitoba doing very well? Uh, I think just numerically they're they're better off than the rest of the pro the, the country okay because this is how little i follow it now is i care so little that uh last i checked they were the worst in the country but that was uh, might, might have been months ago now i don't know what uh, is time i know people who live there that seem like they're living a relatively normal life at the moment so you know what i mean i over under are they going to be the first team uh they're in the top half of the league i'll say that anyway. likelihood It'll be it'll be Quebec that just doesn't give a shit, eh? They'll just. Uh... I think Eugene Melnick's gonna find a fucking way to do it. <laughs> gotta be honest with you. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. And like Toronto's just gonna be like, you know, they they have 
limit they have unlimited monies, so they're just gonna stay close. Like that's not you know what I mean? Till the playoffs probably. But like I think Eugene's gonna find a way to do it. Kyle Davis uh, sitting at his press conference in the NMA. Uh a few months ago we did develop a vaccine uh, for our fans. Uh, any fan that comes to the building does get a vaccine. It's made by Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. Um, it's not the best. It's not the best vaccine. I'm going to be honest with you, but it, it is a vaccine. You can come. You can enjoy the games. This game sponsored by Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> I didn't realize Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment owned Johnson Johnson. Well, that's crazy. And like, even I think I've mentioned this on the podcast too before. And this is going to be like one of the dumber sounding things I've possibly ever said, maybe or maybe smartest. But I like. I'm genuinely curious too because of like this whole people trying to not be so close to each other to help prevent the spread of the virus, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about that, but that's what they recommend you do. I've heard about it. And so, like, in a rink like Ottawa or uh, Winnipeg, as opposed to Toronto and, uh, um, I, like, Minnesota, I think it's kind of like that. And, like, I, like, I've just been other places where the seating in those rinks are very steep. And so if someone's sitting three rows behind you in, in Ottawa, it's different than three rows behind you in Toronto. Like, they're further up, but they're closer, if that makes sense. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a math uh, question, and I, I don't even know, uh, I don't know what I'm asking, really. But just I'm wondering how easy it is to social distance, because I feel like the actual space is smaller, you know? So, like, I wonder if that would affect the number of people you can let in in certain rinks. Because, like, if you've ever been to Ottawa, it's like you're sitting on top of someone. Like, it's just like, it's a literal bowl in there. It feels like Bristol Motor Speedway. Like, it's fucked. Hmm. But I don't know if that affects numbers or not. Hopefully in Ottawa they open up the uh, fourth floor restaurant they have up there. I don't remember what it's called, and I don't know if it's still open, but it it good uh, pulled pork. Good pulled pork. I uh, I'd like to go one day in a decade, perhaps. It's, it's a yeah. nice rink, other than the fact that it's twenty five minutes outside of town. <laughs> okay, and it's like amazing. It's like I'm sitting here saying it's a nice rink. It's like thirty years old, but it's just it's nice. You know? I guess it is getting up there in age, isn't it? I remember when it was the Corral Center. Mm, wow. That's going back. <laughs> Not a lot of good memories for the Sens fans in the Corral Center, am I right? No. Oh, no. Um, okay, we've got some fun, uh, I think, the rest of the way here that we're going to try to get to. Uh, uh, I've got a game. We've got an overrated, underrated favorite, least favorite, of course, uh, as always. But before that, we're going to have a, a fun little segment here called Let's Trade Jack Eichel. Because Jack Eichel, uh, by all accounts, and I don't know if you've noticed this, Brutes. Not having the greatest time in Buffalo. Not having uh, a very fun time oh, playing. Uh, really? Like, uh, by all accounts, Buffalo uh, seems like a real fucking fun place to play. They've got that Taylor Hall guy. Like, what's not to love? No one's ever hated it in Buffalo. No. It's, Buffalo isn't where not dreams only, go to not die. Not only could I name, like, a dozen players just off the top of my head that have notably hated it in Buffalo... Former guest of the podcast, Rod Albazurez, is, like, super outspoken on, on just hating Buffalo. Every detail about it, he's like, the city's a shithole. Shout out to Rod Albazurez, second time on the podcast. There it tonight. is. Um, so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do a little activity called Let's Trade Jack Eichel. Hmm. And uh, I think both of us are going to submit two different trade proposals. Okay. Uh, and what we're going to do is is um, we'll, we'll say uh, I'll go first. And and I'll be I'll you do be, have yours prepped, so that'd be the best course of action. I'll, I'll be the team that wants Jack Eichel, and and you'll play the role of Buffalo GM. I don't remember who their GM is. Oh, that's how we're gonna do it. Okay. 
and and you will tell me whether or not that the trade I am offering you is worth giving up Jack Eichel, and then we'll go back and forth, okay. and and we'll we'll have some fun that way. You know, we'll we'll play GM armchair GM. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. You all good? Sure. Okay. Now, do you do you? Uh, I got two in front of me. I've got one that's a, a a a big trade, swing for the fences type deal, and I got one that's one for one. So oh, I'll I'll wow. let I'll let you pick which one you'd like to oh, uh, analyze no, first. No, big trade first because the one for one. Uh, well, hmm, is there more to discuss? Yeah, you know what? Actually, do one for one first because I feel like there's a greater chance that the one for one is just going to be like. No. Okay. You know what I mean? So you you are Buffalo GM, and I am going to pr- propose this one-for-one one trade for you. Okay. Kevin Adams. Okay. okay. Kevin, uh, Mr. Mr. Adams, uh, it's Brad Trilliving here. I've got mm. Sam Bennett for you. No. Um, <laughs> um, no, you've, you've got Joe Sackett we on the got, line. We already got plenty of centers. That's fair. you got mm. Joe Sackett on the line. Ooh, that was one of my teams. Okay. And he's going to offer you Kale McCarr. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. That's uh, that's very similar to a trade that I had thought of. Um, and the interesting thing, I like, I don't know, because I guess you're gonna play Buffalo GM uh, at some point here as well, right? For you, like for I'm your gonna offer. propose. Yeah. So yeah. my thought as Buffalo GM is that uh, this team needs a complete and total fucking teardown. Uh, like, why would I be trading Jack Eichel if I weren't completely rebuilding the roster? Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing with Kale McCarr is we think about Kale McCarr, um, you know, in certain terms because he's so good. He's only 22. It wouldn't be the first rebuild we've seen where, you know, by the time he's 26, the team's good. So uh, I think that provided before we make the trade that I can speak to Kale McCarr mm. and negotiate out a eight-year contract... <laughs> Uh, if I can do that, and it's under like twelve million dollars a year, I'm making the trade. You got Rasmus Dahlin back there. You got him out there with Kale McCarr. The Aval- look, the Avalanche got a lot of defensive Jesus. prospects back there. Let, let, let's not just act like you're you're losing the entire that, defense. That was the core. reason I thought with Kale McCarr. The only like like slight slight downside, and this is kind of nitpicking, is like they're a little deeper on the left side than they are the right. So, like, you trade McCarr, and now on the right, like, you kind of have to move Devin Taves to the right, probably. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Timmons and Barron, which are both right shots, but assuming one of them doesn't turn out. But, I mean, you know, you're talking embarrassment of Richards, rich, riches. Uh, embarrassment of riches, and you're talking about Jack Eichel uh, being your second-line centerman. So I would take that for yeah. sure. If I'm uh, if I'm Buffalo GM, yeah, I'm, I'm into... Uh, I mean, to Kale McCarr here. Joe Sackick, we have to do a little bit of work with the cap to make uh, make it all work out in the wash. But uh, mm-hmm. I think there's uh, something brewing here. I think we just traded Jack Eichel. Okay. Okay. Cool. Congratulations. Um, your first proposal. Sir. Well, since we're on the topic of the of the said team, hmm. um, I'm gonna call you Joe Sackick. So now you gotta be Joe Sackick. Uh, I am proposing uh, that I will trade you Jack Eichel if you will trade me... Uh, well, do I want to throw something else in there? Hmm. I'll trade you Jack Eichel and Taylor Hall. Uh, and I will retain half of Taylor Hall's salary, so $4 million, uh, if you trade me Miko Rantanen and Connor Timmons. Hmm. Because at this point, 
Well, I'm not going to say it to you because I'm trying to make a trade with you. I don't want to. So I'm I'm still Joe Sackick. <laughs> Sorry, I thought we were trading. You're, you're Kevin Joe, Adams. You're Joe Sackick. Okay. I'm I'm now Kevin Adams. Right? Is that not what we were doing? I, I, I thought we would exchange being Kevin Adams back and forth. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, sorry. Yeah, you're Joe Sackett. I'm trying to acquire Ranton and, and Timmons. Right. So what happened Wait, was... Wait, was I just Buffalo? Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, all right. Well, then fine. I'm Joe Sackett. I'm trading you Ranton and then fucking... Uh, what's Timmons. his face? For uh, Eichel and, and Hall. Yeah, Timmons. Yeah, he's, he's plenty good. See, I'm like uh, Shapiro in Moneyball. I don't even know my players' names. I just know I like him a lot. Yeah, we like him. You don't even know who he is. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But, you know, let's keep going. Um, this is how we do business here in Buffalo. Wait, or Col no, Colorado. Yeah, how this is how we do business in Denver. So I, as Kevin Adams, am going to say... I'm going to counter. Ooh, okay. And I'm going to say you can have... Jack Eichel for Miko Rantanen and Connor Timmons. Okay. But no Taylor Hall. What if I throw in a first-round pick? And you still want Taylor Hall? Yeah. Okay. And you're still retaining half. And, well, what, what's Eichel make? $10 million? Ten. I would like you to retain a very small number on Eichel to the point where Rantanen and Eichel's salaries become the same. So you're still taking on four gonna, million that gonna, you don't have, and sure, okay. and you're gonna and you're gonna retain. Uh, no, I'm gonna make another deal, and you're gonna retain uh, like three hundred thousand on Michael. Yeah, don't worry about it. I already traded Ryan Graves to the fucking Panthers. It's all worked out. See, I have this sneaking suspicion that I can still get more for Taylor Hall mm. separately. Like I could probably flip Hall for a first and something, then come to you and get. Ranton and Timmons in the first for like Eichel and Hall. Okay. That would be my perspective as Kevin Adams. My thought on this in real life is that uh, it's very simple. I think Ranton and Eichel are worth basically the same because uh, I don't think uh, yeah. Eichel is much better than Ranton. And uh, I think uh, <laughs> good luck getting uh, first and Connor Timmons for Taylor Hall. You're going to get a prospect, but he's not going to be Connor Timmons. So. He won't be Connor Timmons, that's for sure. But I've also got Rasmus Dahlin at the moment. I need a big, big swing and dick up front prospect. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I don't think the Avalanche have many of those. I, I, Alex I, Newhook, maybe? I think Would this, you prefer Alex Newhook? I think this is a no-go. Mm, damn. I'm so okay. sorry. Well, in my world, uh, I made a good trade. That's fine, man. Um, That's fine. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not a GM of an NHL team, so maybe I'm missing out here. Okay. At the end of the day. Okay. So you now once again are Kevin Adams. Thank you. Hopefully everyone's paying attention at home and, and, and they know what's going on. <laughs> um, and uh, you're on the phone with Rob Blake of the Los Angeles Kings. Ah, there it is. And Rob Blake. I got to pick a different team because that was my other team. Rob Blake is going to offer you Gabriel Velarde. Gabriel Velarde. Okay. Turcotte. Okay. Jeff Carter retained at fifteen percent. Who the hell? Who the hell's in Turcotte? Turcotte, their fifth overall pick a year, a year ago. Alex Turcotte. Is it Alex? No, I yeah. thought it was Darren. I think Turcotte is a shop teacher here in Thunder Bay. So. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Friend of the podcast. <laughs> right. Never had him, but pretty sure that's his first name. Yeah. You're getting shop, shop teacher 
Turk Oh, God. Uh, no, Gabriel it's going to be a mess. Do I believe it or do I not? Because it's going to be hard to, you know. Gabriel Filardi. Okay. Alex Turcott. Okay. Jeff Carter retained at 15%. Oof. A conditional second this year. Toronto's third round pick this year. And a 2022 first. The condition. It's just a boatload of garbage. All the right, condition continue. on the second is if Jeff Carter is obtained by Seattle in the expansion draft, you get a first round pick. So that's the only way I'm getting that first? Is if he's if he's taken by Seattle? And I say that realizing now that the Seattle expansion draft probably takes place after the entry draft, doesn't it? Unless we kick this entry draft back a year like the NHL's talking about doing. Okay. Yeah. It it's it's arguably fair. Um I mean it's hard to hear a, a Jack Eichel proposal where if you're not getting a player that's just as good as him now, uh that you're not getting like a, a pick of your own. Like a first, like a good, good, good pick, you know. I mean, the other thing is, though, is, you know, if they take Carter, that's, that is a good pick for nothing. But I don't think I want Jeff Carter at all. Uh, hmm. See, I think the Kings can spare Turcotte because they landed up landing Byfield last year. Yeah. At center. And then you're bringing in... I, I think if I'm Buffalo in this situation, which I am, I, 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 if I'm making a trade with the Kings, I, I've got to be getting Byfield back, I think. Ooh, okay. I think I've got to be getting Byfield. The problem is, uh, is the other part of me is I don't wish that upon Quentin Byfield because I really, really like him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really want him to be a star in LA. Like, would you take Byfield for Eichel one for one over the, the, the package? I would take Byfield. And probably something else. Mm. But having said that, you know, I wouldn't word it that way if I were an NHL GM. But, like, you got to realize that if, if I'm saying it's got to be Byfield and a sweetener, like, how important is the fucking sweetener, really, right? Like, if you really want Byfield, then, you know. So my thought would have been, like, Byfield and Tyler Madden. But Madden's a good prospect, so, mm -hmm. you know. Okay. And, a, and, like, a fucking fifth or some shit, you know. Well, it sounds like we don't have a deal here. <laughs> it's shaking out that it's way, isn't sure, it? Sure, starting to sound I'll, that I'll, way. I'll, I'll take Jeff Carter off the table, and the 2022 first becomes a this year's first, but mm. you don't get next year's first. So so what's the offer then? Velarde, Turcotte, a first, and a third. I thought there was a second in there, too. The the second becomes oh, the second the becomes, oh, oh, yeah, no, I definitely didn't like that offer. Uh, so it's a first and a third. I get the first no matter what, and the first is in this year's draft or the the next the twenty twenty one next available draft. Yeah. Um, I still think I say no, but you're you're getting warmer to like what 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 an actual Jack Eichel trade would look like. Okay, it's um, amazing to think that like I went into this. The only reason I was treating Jeff Carter is because I don't really need him on the Kings. I don't need him for the cap space. That's fair. If I flip uh, Velarde off this roster, I can make the money work. I'm a big believer in uh, you need your young players to play if you're doing a rebuild, but you do need a few veterans to kind of teach them some stuff. Uh, for example, like the Senators' thought process on acquiring Derek Stepan this year sure. kind of thing. Carter is not a guy that I put into that class of veteran. I think Carter's still very much... Uh, not when you have the other guys in LA that you do, I think. Carter's a bit of a wild card. So, well, no, I'm saying if I'm Buffalo. Like, I don't want to bring oh, Carter in. I, I don't see. think Carter's a great influence on the younger kids if he's the guy that I'm bringing in. Um, I don't think he would want to be there. I don't even know that he would report in that situation. 
Um, and the other thing is, too, is even if Carter is the guy off the ice that I want, I don't want him on the ice for my team at this stage because he's not very good anymore. But um, it was a nice thought for you. Okay. I yield the floor. So now I'm I'm another team in your box. I am, once again, Kevin Adams. Okay. Uh, so I was going to be L.A., but since we already did that, let's let's do something different. Okay. I'm going to be, uh, and I don't want to be, but I'm going to be Don Waddell. Okay. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah, don't want to be Don Waddell. But I've I've been down this road. I I might know where you're going here. Going to be Don Waddell. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> hmm. 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 I am going to offer you my my first round pick this year. Okay. My second round pick this year. Okay. You may as well throw in one of those sevens. Sure. Yeah, you can have <laughs> you can have three picks this year, uh, but I'm not trading my third. Put it that way. Right? Okay. So a first, a third, and a or first, a second, and a fourth. Okay. Um, Jake Bean and Dougie Hamilton. So a first, a second, and a fourth in this so year's draft. Essentially, a second, a third, and a fifth. Jake Bean, who's a pending RFA, and Dougie Hamilton, who's a pending UFA. That's right. I'm probably going to pass on that. Okay. Because I think both guys don't sign. I have a counteroffer. Oh, well, all right. Okay. Yep. From Don Waddell? Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm going to offer you a first, a second, and a third. Wow. Uh, Jake Bean. <laughs> Sounds similar. And uh, Tavo Teravining. I still think Bean walks. Who's an RFA? Yeah, I don't think he signs. <laughs> Jake Bean's a good little soldier. What are you talking about? He's a good little soldier. It's the Buffalo Sabers. Okay. I want some guy. I want a guy with, you know, some some contract. If if I'm moving up, Jack, I don't. I don't want any of these guys fucking. Well, it depends how you value Teravine. That's the thing. Yeah, and right? I don't highly. Okay. Because I I think he's Patrick Kane light. Come up here. But a little deeper. You know, he he I don't think has played almost at all. This year, but. Nine points, twelve games, almost a point per game last year. Yeah, like you're it's not. A long way. You're not far off. I don't think. I I think Carolina is going to have a deep run this year, so that first is not as valuable as I think it would be coming from a lot of other teams. If, if I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what. Because hmm. if if you're worried about Jake Bean, I can turn Jake Bean and and we're getting we're getting a little crazy here. I think because I do I do value him pretty pretty well. We could go Martin Natchez instead of Jake Bean, who's got another year left on his entry level. See that I'm a little more interested in, I think, as as the Buffalo, as Kevin Adams, you know, if if I'm inside the mind of well, Kevin and Adams, and I am Don Waddell, and uh, and you know, I, I don't don't know if we're keeping Dougie Hamilton, so I'll go one for one for for Sebastian Ajo. Now, since this isn't a, is that an actual counteroffer? Yeah. Because I almost proposed that, proposed that as well. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is for the sake of the negotiation, I was going to say it's off the record. That was going to be my initial offer. Mm. I don't necessarily. This is this might sound kind of fucked up. Uh, I would say no because I think Aho is better. Wow. It's not by much. Okay. That's the thing. Is like I just, I don't think that trade makes Carolina better. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I don't think Eichel does better for them than Aho does. But having said that, my whole idea behind this trade offer is I want Aho to drive his own line, and I want Eichel with Svechnikov. That's where I was getting at here, right? right. I want, oh yeah, I want, I, I know what you're trying. I to want do. Svech going into those corners and fucking hammering guys because Eichel's going to get fired up. You know, he needs that shit. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have any of that shit in Buffalo. 
Buffalo is trying to do the, like the Leafs thing where they're trying to build around skill, except they have no uh, skill, hmm. right? <laughs> so if you give them a little bit of grit, a little bit of skill to work with Carolina, I think it works. So I'm saying no if it's Ajo for right. So you had first, second, and a third, Nikash and Teravinen. Teravinen for Eichel. Tell you what, keep your second and your third this year. Make wow. it first this year, first next year, Nikash and Teravinen. You got a deal. I make that trade. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm so glad we were able to come to an agreement there. I I would shake your hand, but I don't want to touch you. Uh, uh, Speaking once again to uh, Brutus Bataglia, I did have (laughs) two other one-for-one deals that intrigued me, but I didn't want to propose as being... No, yeah. You know, um, the first one was Jack Eichel for Patrick Kane. I think think Patrick Kane is going to end up in Buffalo for a couple years regardless at the end of his career. Why does Buffalo do that, though? Because they're going to sign him anyway. And and why why wait till he's thirty six to sign him when you can get him now? You get a couple good years yeah. out of him. You sell some jerseys. You sell some tickets. Yeah. Maybe by the time you're good again, he's in the last year or two of his deal. But what does that what does that do in building you a team? Because like that's just taking your best asset. And don't get me wrong. I just mean from a trade value perspective, you're essentially giving him away for a guy that's not going to help you win now. Might help you win in the future. But that's a big might because, like, what is he in four yeah. years? And is Buffalo good in, in four years? Like, but it's also a guy that wants yes, to. If they get a if they get a fucking knee cash and a Teravainen and two first round picks, or they get you know Byfield and or Turcotte or whoever the fuck. Yeah, I hear you like, saying. Sure, yeah. right? Like yeah. you build around those guys. But right now, like, if you look three four years down the road, this team is going to be Kane in your proposal. It's going to be Kane, Cousins, Darlene. Uh, oh, the the guy on Canada this year. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be good. Hughes. But, but uh, Quinn. Quinn. His name's Quinn. Jack, <laughs> Quinn Hughes. Jack Quinn. Yeah, That's you, you know, Hughes. Quinn Hughes. Yeah. yeah, you got Jack Eichel, Jack Quinn, Quinn Jack, Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes. Quinn Jack okay? Hughes, yeah. That, there's your trade. <laughs> Jack Quinn, Jack Eichel, three-way trade. Somehow you get Jack Hughes and Quinn Hughes in Buffalo. The Hughes boys, eh? Done deal. Okay. I don't know why... I don't, I don't know where Eichel and Quinn are going in that scenario. No, I, I just think that there's... there There is... I think when you go back and you look at everything that Buffalo has kind of been through and all the reports that have come out from various players, there is maybe something valuable in the idea of a guy that wants to play for that team, that wants to be in that room. I agree with you, but that's not it's not a one-for-one deal. Okay. Like, that, if that ever happens, again, like, like, Kane has trade value if the team has a use for Kane that's tangible on the ice right now, mm-hmm. right? So Kane... To Colorado, to Toronto, to uh, Tampa, to Vegas—not no cap space, but that makes sense. Boston, right? Like that all makes sense, but he doesn't do anything right now that Buffalo can quantify and see on the ice. So, and, and there's no way Chicago does this, but like fucking Adam Boquist has to be involved, hmm. or like honestly, to some degree, Taves has to be involved. Like if you're bringing them both over to kind of help establish a culture, you've never seen it before. But it's at least it's a tangible risk where that makes sense. But Kane, Kane, I think, would help a lot. I, I agree with you. He's going to convince people to live in Buffalo somehow. But <laughs> I'm serious, right? Like that, I understand. Look, like, I know all huge... the best cabbies in town, okay? Right, like, yeah. you're just, you're going to... Oh, boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I think if you're making a big move like that, but now you're talking, like, Skinner's got to go the other way, and then it, it just becomes this big trade of garbage <laughs> you know and then how does again like buffalo's taking just too big of a risk without a prospect so you got to get a kid in there like it's just 
Okay. It's I like the idea because it's something cool. It's like the idea of like the Blue Jays bringing in Marcus Simeon for a year. Like, yeah, he's he's good. Don't get me wrong. Like, but he's more there for like the dugout discussions, right? Right. Yeah. Sure, he's going to earn his nineteen million dollars. Good player, but like. He's trying to help. He's not the shortstop. Facilitate yeah. this rebuild. Yeah, and if he is on that team, he's not exactly. He's not playing shortstop, or if he is, some other players have switched their positions, right? So it's like, I get the idea of bringing Kane in because he maybe helps from a player's per- perspective fix things off the ice. I don't know enough about Patrick Kane on a day-to-day basis to know that he actually is the guy for that too, though. I don't know. Fair it's, I, I don't like the fit really. Okay, my other one that I think is a little bit more realistic. Okay. Jack Eichel, one for one for Evgeny Malkin. See, but again, like, how how does that fix Buffalo now? So Buffalo brings him. You can flip Malkin. You can flip Malkin. He comes to he comes to Buffalo. He is the guy. He's he's getting 23, 24 minutes a night. Not Sidney Crosby. If the numbers, uh, you know, start to inflate again as as a result, see, you flip him next year like, or even this year. Maybe I see what you're saying. Like maybe he's a victim of not getting enough opportunity right now. My problem is is that if Jack Eichel isn't looking very good in Buffalo right now. How fucking bad is Evgeny Malkin going to look in Buffalo? Because he hasn't looked great in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, he's okay yeah. this year, but he hasn't been he hasn't been Evgeny Malkin. How's that going to get? I still I still think the name value is there to flip him for assets. I think so, but I think the best chance to maximize what you get for Malkin is to trade him from Pittsburgh, and then once he goes somewhere else, that's where he's going. Like I don't think he has another stop in him to. I don't think it's going to do anything for Buffalo. Like, I just don't. I think the only scenario that Malkin works in that trade is, again, it needs to be like a three-team trade. Like, it has to happen almost immediately. Because the last thing I want, this is the biggest insult I'm ever going to give Buffalo Sabres. The last thing I want, if I'm the Buffalo Sabres and I'm trying to trade Evgeny Malkin, is for Evgeny Malkin to ever play a game for the Buffalo Sabres. (laughs) That's it. It's the last thing I fucking want. That's the worst thing in the fucking world. Fair enough. I like I like your moxie though. You're thinking big. I, I'm trying. You're thinking Swinging big. For the fences. Yeah, I I like I like the idea of one for one trades. I really oh, like yeah. I really like the conversation. It's fun. There's a reason you don't see them is because most of them don't work out. Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. So you know. I did uh, also think of uh, Drysaddle for uh, Eichel, but I don't know if that would work in Edmonton. Yeah, I don't think Edmonton likes that. No. If you're Buffalo, you probably like that. You like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Edmonton's getting on board. So the Leafs just just finished two games against the Edmonton Oilers. They're about to start their third right now in, in the set. And I can't remember the last time a really, really high pick, like a top three, four, five pick, got picked. And they all have those player comparables, right? And sometimes it's like, it's a little outlandish, right? Like you'll hear like one network saying, well, he's kind of like Brett, if Brett Hull skated like fucking Pavel Bure or it's like and then the other network's like well no he's more like if uh if Patrick Kane had uh, Matt Sundin's size and it's like what the hell are any of you talking about but universally when Leon Dreisaitl before he even got drafted everyone's like he's Anzi Kopitar I don't know what to tell you he's he's exactly Anzi Kopitar he's no different there's nothing different about them they spell their name different they look a little different that's it he's either the same player there's no debate about it and then I'm watching Dreisaitl the other night, and I'm like, there is nothing similar in their fucking games at all, other than that they're both good at hockey. That's the only comparison I can make between the two. Oh, and sometimes one of them plays center. That's it. 
I can't think of a player comparable in the last, like, 10 years that I remember so vividly being just flat-out fucking wrong. Like, even Matthews for Kopitar. Or, like, Matthews being a Kopitar comparable. At least Matthews is, like, comparable defensively. Like, mm-hmm. they think the game's simple. Dreisaitl and Kopitar, they're not even fucking close to each other. Like, they don't enter the same conversations. <laughs> like, like for like for example, they don't enter the same zones. So that's why they don't enter the same conversations, right? Like, Dreisaitl never goes into his own zone. Like, this year, it's like, wow, Dreisaitl's gotten so much better defensively. And it's like, cool, he is now the 10th best defensive forward on the Edmonton Oilers, who are not good defensively. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just that... Thinking back to that player comparable just makes me laugh. Uh, how good it is to reminisce. Yeah. And speaking of reminiscing, uh, Brutes, do you know where you were January 4th, 2007? All right. So carry the one denominator. Uh, no. No? You're January 7th, 2007. 4th, 2007. You're probably still on uh, World Junior. Christmas break. World from Junior game, school. maybe? Was there a World Junior game that night? Maybe I would have. Oh no, it was that would be the night before the gold medal game. So, yeah, but they used to do. There are years where they do it the night before. Oh, okay, and they have a back to back. Like I think well, they did that this year. Perhaps yeah. you, might, you might be on something. Yeah. In any in any in, event. In any case, uh, no, I don't. You don't. Okay. Uh, well, Patrick Stefan found found himself. Oh my! On God. a breakaway with uh, with no goalie in the net, and uh, infamously bobbled the puck in the crease before falling feet first into the boards. I do know where I was. Okay. I was watching that game. Perfect. <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I, uh, I I watched it. I don't really remember it that much, but I do remember laughing at it. The Edmontoners turned the puck up the ice immediately, and in two passes, Alice Hemsky is alone on Marty Turco and buries the tying goal with about uh, three seconds left in the game. I don't know where this game's going. Uh, the Dallas Stars uh, would go on to win the game in, uh, I, I believe it was the shootout, but uh, in any event, Patrick Stefan in alone, empty net, game on his stick, and uh, 13 games later, he was out of the NHL for good. Really? Yeah. That quick, eh? That, was, that, that quick, yeah. You don't, you don't miss on an empty net like that. He wasn't having a good year no. anyway, so this is the Patrick Stefan game, and and Bruce, how this works is I've got uh, seven questions for you, one more than the number of seasons that Patrick Stefan played in the NHL, or no, sorry, the same number uh, of seasons say, that Patrick Stefan uh, played in the NHL, and each of these questions are designed such that this should be an entertainer. This, all the information is out there for you. It's easily obtainable if you think and concentrate and pay attention. Mm, good thing I've had a drink. <laughs> But I might make another one. If you I get too start. cocky, yeah. or if you take your mind off the game for a second, you might just find yourself sitting feet first in the corner while the other team is going up the ice and scoring on your net. Oh no! Okay. See, I thought this game was going to be name all the other players that were on the ice, which, like, <laughs> given my knowledge of Edmonton Oilers and Dallas Stars, would have been probably not too hard. Yeah. Like, I probably could have got a good amount if, of them. If there was a way for me to like pull up an exact list of those guys, I would. The ask only you. way would be is if you watched the clip, probably, yeah. which now I probably will do later tonight. But this article I'm reading uh, lists a few of them, but not all of them. So, yeah, there you go. Um, do you have any questions about how the game works? No, it just sounds like it's a quiz game that uh, is is seemingly easy, but it's going to be deceivingly difficult. Quite possibly. Cool. You could go 7 for 7. You might go over 7. It's going to be really interesting to see. Cool. Uh, take your time with it. 
we're we're doing pretty good for time on on the podcast as it stands. So I edit out most of my pauses anyway. So. There you go. Okay, I'm going to start off with an easy one. Going to miss the whole first. Two. Theoretically, again, this this should have been an easy one for Patrick Stefan. So we'll find out. Question one: Wayne Gretzky scored a oh, thousand no. uh, scored a thousand points faster than NHL any other player in NHL history, doing so in 424 games. Who posted the second fastest mark to score a thousand points? Well, James, I'm glad you asked, uh, because this is my legitimate favorite Wayne Gretzky stat. Okay, it's Wayne Gretzky. It is. That's my favorite of all of his records. Isn't it wild? That's my favorite one. That's the one where I'm kind of like, eh, maybe I kind of like it. You know what I mean? So Wayne Gretzky entered the NHL in 1979, 1980. He had his thousandth point at the age of 24 in 1984 after 424 games played. 435 games after that, he recorded wow. point number 2,000. Almost the same number. At the age of 30 in 1990 with the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, just for fun, Marlon Mew, uh, the, the fastest non-Gretzky named player to do it, uh, he did so in 527 games. Wow. Yeah. Fuck. Insane. Still almost Still 100 games. 100, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Well, you're one for one. So you're off to a better start than yeah. Patrick Stefan was. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, this this one's going to take some thinking. Question two. Have more unique team names won or not won the Stanley Cup? Okay, so i.e., there have been two different versions of the Winnipeg Jets, but Jets only counts as one for being a unique team name. So we're not talking franchises. We're talking unique team name. Does the Blackhawks two words count over the Blackhawks, no. Like we're just gonna have, no. just and Blackhawks. and and yeah. uh, and Golden Seals and Seals also count as as one. Okay. Yeah, for that classic uh, '80s there, where the Golden Seals won nine straight cups. Um, also, uh, Stars so, and North Stars are grouped as one as well. So, are there more? Current, like uh, currently active or defunct teams, basically, that never won a cup versus like all the team names that are on there, kind of thing. Like, for example, you're asking me, there are there, like, say, there are 37 teams that have never won a cup, mm -hmm. and there's like 21 that have, kind of thing. Like, that's what we're looking for, right? Like, kind of, yeah, yeah, but it's the unique team name, right? Yeah, yeah, so say, like, they haven't, but like, say, the Atlanta Flames had won. And the Calgary Flames had one. That's two, or that's one. That would be one. Okay. Oh, so you just so look at Flames one. Flames is one. Yeah. Ooh, okay. So Senators. Uh, well, they haven't won the second time around, so that doesn't matter. It's got to be. It's got to be not right. It's it's got to be. There's more team names that haven't won a cup than have. That's your final answer. It's got to be. Okay. You're correct. You're two for two. Yeah. Twenty six teams have not won the Stanley Cup. 26 unique names. Thrashers, Coyotes, Sabres, Golden Seals, or Seals, Barons, Rockies, Blue Jackets, Falcons, Cougars, Panthers, Tigers, Whalers, Scouts, Wild Wanderers, Predators, Americans, Eagles, Quakers, Pirates, Bulldogs, Nordiques, Sharks, Canucks, Golden Nuts, Golden Nuts. Ah, the Vegas Golden Nuts. Golden Knights and the Jets have not. 24 have. It's closer than I thought. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. So when you said 26, though, that's why I was like, ooh, because I did figure the unique number had to be early 20s. But yeah. Ducks, I mean, Bruins, Flames, Hurricanes, Blackhawks, Avalanche, Stars, Red Wings, Oilers, King, Canadians, Maroons, Devils, Islanders, Rangers, 
the original Senators, Flyers, Penguins, Blues, Lightning, Maple Leafs, Arenas, St. Pat's, and Capitals. Hmm. I've all won Stanley Cups. So there you go. You're two for two. Okay. Look at this. You're killing it. Okay. Yeah, sure. Question number three. The first octopus was thrown on the ice in Detroit in 1952, a year in which the Red Wings would go on to win the Cup. Though still popular today, why is this practice no longer relevant? What do you mean it's no longer relevant? So still relevant. Not in its meaning. Oh, so what was the initial meaning, more or less? Well, why is it no longer relevant? I guess you could answer it both ways. I actually don't. I, I used to know. I actually don't remember why it happened in the first place. Like, why? Well, at the risk of over um, overanalyzing it, because uh, I don't think I'm going to come up with it, uh, I'm just going to guess, because it was an, it's an octopus, I'm going to guess that maybe that year they were going for their eighth cup and they've since won that cup. I, I don't know. Hmm. That That is a very logical answer. I know they probably didn't have eight cups by then, but... I don't think they did, but uh, in any event, uh, the octopus was thrown on the ice because it signified the eight wins needed to win the cup. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. A fact that, that no point. longer exists, given that you need sixteen wins. So if you had two octopus or octopi, uh, by all means, get them out there. But Maybe that's why they won all those cups for a few years there, is because they were throwing so many octopi. Quite possibly. Yeah. Okay, well you're sitting one for three. That's uh, or sorry, two for three, two for three. I wonder what octopus guy's up to. Svoboda there, I don't remember. He's laid off for sure. Um, Question four. Due in part to swapping his hockey helmet for a beret, (laughs) World War War II vet Woody Dumart went over 11 years between accomplishing what common hockey feat? Because he fought in the war is what you're saying. Yep. He swapped his hockey helmet for a beret. World War II vet Woody Dumart went over 11 years between accomplishing what common hockey feat? So... There's only three things coming to mind here. It's either uh, getting a point, scoring a goal, or playing a game. Hmm. Game seems too obvious based on the wording of the question, like common hockey feet. Like that's a basic requirement. You got to play the game to, for you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Point again. If he was playing, you'd think he would have got a point. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go scoring a goal. Scoring a goal. Eleven years between scoring a goal. Okay. Um, probably making a save or something. Great I guess. Thought about the wrong position. Great guess. Once again, this is the Patrick Stefan game, so the answer is kind of worded in there. Funny, uh, swapping his hockey helmet for a beret, he went 11 years without scoring a hat trick. Hat trick. Mm. Beret's a hat. Um, Never heard of him. Didn't know he was any good. Yeah, he didn't wear a helmet either. So it was a, yep. it was yeah, a it was kind of... vaguely worded question. For yeah, sure. uh, for a second there, I thought you were going to say wearing a helmet. Like, yeah. oh, I don't, I don't think he did. Um, okay, question five. At the 1981 Canada Cup, Canada's top three scorers were in order. Wayne Gretzky, one. Mike Bossy, two. And Brian Trotche, third. A trio of Conn Smythe winners. Three years later, at the 1984, two teenagers led the way for a young Team USA in Eddie Olchuk and Brian Lawton. But which former Conn Smythe winner finished third that year for Team USA? Whew. That requires me knowing the Conn Smythe winners. So, uh, Eddie Olchuk, Brian Lawton. Had to have won. I feel like this is another one. I feel like I, I know the answer is, but damn. I feel like just given the, I feel like it's got to be like a, it's got to be someone who was young, maybe like a young American. Like why would this be an interesting, you know what I mean? I'm, hmm. I don't know why this would be easy. Like I must be overlooking something. 
So I can re- what, re- read the question? Yeah, you were saying something okay. about I had to pay attention in this game, so okay. maybe I'll pay attention this time. At the 1981 Canada Cup, Canada's top three scorers were, in order, Wayne Gretzky first, Mike Bossy second, and Brian Trottier third. A trio of Conn Smythe winners. In 1984, two teenagers led the way for a young Team USA in N.A. Olchuk and Brian Lawton finishing one and two in team scoring. Which former Conn Smythe winner finished third? Oh, Gretzky one, Bossy two, Trotchet three, all Consmite winners. So th- this, this, this person won a Consmite. Olchek and Lawton didn't. Right. My thought here is that it's someone who won a Consmite but maybe didn't win a Stanley Cup because I don't think Olchek and Lawton ever did, and I'm wondering if maybe that's what like this guy was a Consmite winner in a year where he didn't win a Stanley Cup because Gretzky won one. Several. Uh, Bossy won several, and Trotje won all of them. <laughs> um, a few names coming to mind, but nobody that I think of as as someone who would have won a Con Smythe. This person was also a teenager. So no. you said no. You didn't specify that it could be, but what well, you're saying they're not. The teenagers mentioned were Olchuk and Lawton. I want to say it was someone who maybe played with them. Let's go. Uh, uh, I don't know. Neil Broughton. Neil Broughton. It's incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the answer we were looking for was uh, Conn Smythe winner Brian Trotche, who swapped from playing for Team Canada at the 1981 Canada Cup to representing the United States in 1984 after marrying his American wife and uh, thus choosing that he would prefer to represent the land of 50 states. So... Um, that is, uh, the answer to question number five of the Patrick Stefan game. Okay. So you're sitting two for five. You gotta, you gotta get these last two right to win the game. Bumbled a few of these for sure. Question six. Jocelyn Thibault will never be a Hall of Famer, but throughout his career. What if he gets in as a builder? Hmm. But throughout his career, he continually shut the door, accomplishing what feat an astonishing four times. Uh, winning a game. No. Uh, <laughs> considering he played 400 games, that is astonishing. I'll go back-to-back shutouts. Back-to-back shutouts four times. Uh, that is incorrect. Oh, no. Uh, Jocelyn Tabo played in four games that happened to be the final game played within... Ah, shutting the door. Uh, building. There it is. He played the final game for the Quebec Nordiques building in uh, Quebec on uh, May 16, 95. The final game at the Montreal Forum in 1996. The final game for the Capitals at U.S. Airways Arena in 97. Yep, I know the last one. And Maple Leaf Gardens, of course. He was on the bench for the final game in a fifth game uh, <laughs> in Philadelphia when they closed the Spectrum. And he played the second last game uh, at the Harvard Civic Center in 1997. So just everywhere that guy went, they had to close things down after he left town. So Nice. Not not a great uh, not a great way to be remember, remembered around the league, I'm sure. So unfortunately, the best you can do is uh, three for seven here. We've got one question left for you. We're gonna have some fun anyway. We're gonna see how, how you can do. Sure. Uh, number seven is in the NHL's 103 years. How many seasons? And I'll uh, give you a, a three-way buffer, one way or the other. Have existed where the number of teams in the league was less than the number of cups won by the Montreal Canadiens. At the same time? So how many seasons mm-hmm. have existed where the number of teams in the league was less than 
the number of cups the Montreal Canadiens had won. Oh, at the time. Going into that season, yeah. All right, so... So none of the last 25 years. Um, okay. It's yeah. a good way to start, for yeah, sure. Joe. See, like, the interesting thing is, like, the last few, you had hidden the answer, kind of, in mm-hmm. the question. But I, So let's, one more time. In the league's 103 years, how many seasons have existed where the number of teams in the league was less than the number of cups won by the Montreal Canadiens? And I'll give you a buffer of three if you get it within three either way. Okay. So I'll give it to you. Yeah. Just, I was wondering if you worked, like, found a way to work the word Fortnite into that. Uh, I'm going to be like, oh, the answer's uh, 40. Yeah. 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 Or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, this, this is just one of those ones where if you sat here for an hour and wrote them all down, <laughs> you could get you the get answer. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so 103 years, minus 25. Let's go the number of teams in the league was less than the number of cups. How many seasons were played? Yeah. Let's go Let's go 10. 10? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the answer was 37. <laughs> so the very first okay. year that the NHL existed, before the NHL existed, yeah, the I Montreal guess missed a couple of decades there. Had already won a cup. So they were already up 1-0 on the NHL. Uh, in 53, they won their seventh cup, which then for the next uh, 13 years meant that they had more cups than original six teams existed. So there were seven cups won there. Uh, in, in 67, 68, the league, of course, doubled, but the Montreal Canadiens were already up to 14 cups. Why, yes, of course. Uh, in 1970, 71, they were up to 16 teams when the league expanded to 14. And this continued as a pattern until we got to 1991, 92, when they won their 23rd cup in 1986, and the league expanded to 22 teams. Uh, the following season, the league went to 23, and the Habs did win a cup that year, but it was their 23rd and final cup. 24th, sorry, in Final Cup. So they were not ahead of the 24 teams in the league anymore. See, where you got me with that game is uh, you you played into my classic trivia habit of thinking about it and thinking about it and then being like, ah, I'm done thinking about this, and then I just guess something without really, really thinking about it, you know? Uh, like I do the bare minimum thinking, and then I just mail it in. So yeah, you you, you prayed on me there for sure. It's but. okay, but yeah, I've got I've got more questions prepared for round two down oh. the road someday. So goody, we'll, we'll get there another time. Goody, but uh, hope hope everyone had fun playing along at home. <laughs> uh, that leaves us with one thing to get to tonight. It is the overrated, underrated favorite, oh, least favorites. Wow, for today's edition of the podcast, and today we're doing song covers. Mm-hmm. Ooh la la la. Um, these are songs that maybe uh, people uh, or bands took and, and covered uh, and made them better, or maybe they took them and made them worse, or maybe you didn't even know they were covers in the first place. But uh, in any case, we're going to talk about our uh, respective overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite song covers. Uh, Bruce, you lost the quiz. Would you like to uh, start things off for the overrated, underrated? Yeah, least I, I can do it. Okay. Um, so one thing I like to do when we're doing overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite is when, when I'm trying to decide an overrated or an underrated, I need some context. So I need to know where other people rate them and things like that, right? So I, I read some articles on thoughts of like, what are the best song covers of all time? And I got to tell you, like, at least half a dozen lists had this song in the top ten, if not five. Okay. Um, because the night uh, by Bruce Springsteen, the cover is not good. I don't. I, I like Bruce Springsteen. I've gotten into him over the course of the last few months. Uh, the original is by Patti Smith, and it's much better. Uh, mm. Patti Smith, one of those artists, maybe just don't cover. 
Just leave her stuff alone. You don't need to do it. She did it. It's mm-hmm. fine. That's, just leave it. That's fair. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that would be my answer. I don't even know what that song is. Like, I, I saw that as well on lists. Because the Yeah, I've heard the Springsteen version a lot, but the Patti Smith version is much better. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it was re- it was rated high, so it's overrated for me. It's not it's not good. It's not good. The originals. Anytime the originals better, uh, it shouldn't be on your list of best covers of all time. You know. So. Yeah, I'll 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 admit to that. That's like unless we're talking. You know what I mean? Like if uh, if uh, Prince had done like a cover of Stairway to Heaven or something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it'd Boy. probably be really good. Wow, I'd love to hear that. It's not going to be as good as the original, right? Like, it's not. Yeah. Um, my overrated is uh, "Turn the Page" by Metallica. Ooh. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, possi- possibly not even the best cover song by Metallica. Uh, and and Bob Seger fucking rocks. What do you think it would be? I think it's uh, "Whiskey in the Jar." Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Stone Cold Crazy also on the list. Stone Cold Crazy is really, up really there. Metallica, yeah. like when they cover a song, they, they cover it. They do it well. I'm not yeah. saying that this song is bad. I'm just like, I, I think Bob no, Seger did a great job to begin with. And Metallica, despite it being a, a fair cover, it just gets way too much hype. It, it, it's not the best cover that they've done. And it didn't need to be covered in the first place. Fair so, enough. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Okay. Uh, my underrated. Uh, the reason I'm putting it as my underrated is I had too many for my favorite. Um, but also that I just don't really think, okay, I had my explanation ready to go as to why this was going to be my favorite. And within saying it was going to be my favorite, there were a lot of times where I stated just how underrated the cover is. So I decided to move it. Okay. My underrated is, uh, the killer's cover of the Joy Division song Shadow Play. Okay. Here's why. Is first off, uh, covering Joy Division has been done a lot. And it's, it's hard to do, because Joy Division's cool. But um, Shadowplay... Okay, so the Killers are a band that I would consider, in, of the last 20 years, probably top 10 band of the last 20 years. And this is arguably... Uh, well, not arguably for me. Like, it's it's a top five song of theirs, is Shadowplay. Uh, not in popularity, in just what they did to the song, and the actual sound of the song, and everything like that. This was the most perfect cover for the Killers to do in their first few years being famous. Because it just played right into their sound. And it sounds, at the same time, sounding very similar to the Joy Division version. Sounds nothing like it. Like, they change a lot of what Joy Division did in the original. Uh, So for me, this is a song where I put it right up there with all these things that I've done. Um, Mr. Brightside, My Own Soul's Warning, like all these songs that we think of when we think of the killers like shadow play is arguably ahead of a few of those for me so i'm a big killers fan and i think this is one of their best songs and it's not even theirs. cool i did not realize that that was a cover so yeah yeah joy division right on yeah uh my underrated is paint black by the tea party <laughs> okay um this is a song that jeff martin should have wrote probably would have wrote <laughs> Except the Stones got there first. It's not a great Stones song. This is part of their satanic phase in the late 60s where things got a little weird for them. Um, 
I've always admired the song. I just never felt it was a great Stone song to begin with. The Tea Party came in, and I, I wish that they had a little bit more uh, freedom to to maybe do what they wanted in terms of maybe changing up some of the writing for this piece because the song that they pump out as a cover is very true to the original, but with that Tea Party kind of feel, you know, very Middle Eastern. They've they've got some some of they put a lot of themselves into this piece. Um, which at its core is Tea Party-esque to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Martin's voice is fantastic mm-hmm. with it. Uh, Jeff Burrows on the drums, uh, just just a, an amazing transition. He works himself away from less cymbals, more to the, the Tom game that, that he's comfortable with. I forget that's where Jeff Burrows came from. I don't know why I associate him with a different band. For Fair some enough. reason, I never think Tea Party. <laughs> yeah, that's um, where he was. But yeah, they, they took a, a good song, made it very much their own, but just couldn't slap on the fact that they wrote it, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of feel bad because uh, at this point I'm noticing with both of our answers and then where my other two answers are going that um, there are a lot of good covers of a rock song where they turn it into a pop song, where they turn it into just a different genre of music. Mm-hmm. There are, there are a lot of examples where they do that uh, successfully, and all of my answers are are rock songs turned into another rock song. Mm. Um, so I kind of feel bad, because there are a lot... I just... This was a tough one for me. Like, I, I just... I didn't put as much thought into it as I could have, because I didn't want to overthink a lot of this, but... I almost had a Data Remembers cover of Kelly Clarkson's Wish You Were Here. Oh, so sorry. Uh, since since You've Been, been gone. gone. Yeah. So, yeah, well, you know what? We'll get there. Um... My my favorite my favorite cover is a toss up, and uh, you're not gonna be happy with one of them. Uh, my favorite is either "Turn the Page" by Metallica, or uh, Jeff Buckley's version of "Hallelujah," covering Leonard hmm. Cohen. Um, with, with the yeah, you know what? You're right. Uh, I have uh, Bob Seger's another one. In the last year or so, become a pretty big Bob Seger fan. I, I've always liked him, but I, I've discovered more of his music and uh, really like Bob Seger and everything like that. And the original is very good. This is a rare example of taking a very good song and making it better. And a lot of times there's a distinction between the two and one's either good and one's not. Um, but yeah, it's just it's always been one of my favorite songs, particularly that version. So I have to give it credit there. Uh, Jeff Buckley's version of Hallelujah is taking a genius song and turning it into a masterpiece. And um, I, I like Leonard Cohen a lot. I've studied him in school. I've written essays about him. I, I like him a lot. But this is just a song where you listen to it, and it's hard to believe that there are any other versions than Jeff Buckley's, and we've all heard a dozen versions of this fucking song. Mm-hmm. But Jeff Buckley just brings it to a new level where I just think it's got this uh, level of emotion that there are few songs I've ever heard in my life that have that same comparable level of emotion where you can feel it, you can hear it, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think there's something to be said for that. So those were my two favorites. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I think I clarified, but like, it's not that I don't like Turn the Page. Just, yeah, no, yeah. I, I figured you did, but yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's, I mean, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. Like, it is a little overrated. It's not like they change a lot to it. They just, it's a harder rock version of what it already was. It's, it's one of two Metallica songs I'll hear on the radio for the rest of my life, so. That, 
That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the other one being whiskey in a jar. Or? Uh, probably not. Um, my favorite cover song is a song by Van Halen in 1978 called "You Really Got Me." Hmm. They slapped a uh, kick-ass, like kick-ass guitar solo in front of it, yeah, and good. Uh, good they took a song that uh, had come out like you know over a decade before, but still relatively re- uh, relevant, and cut it in like half in terms of length, and just blistered through it, and took what was like a pretty average rock song and like really knocked out of the park i feel like the kinks wrote that song and and they got to they got to that bridge or guitar solo or whatever you want to call it <laughs> and went gee it sure would be nice if we had someone that could do something here and van helen 14 years later decided hey you know what we could do here uh we could make this a better song and uh Eddie van helen uh goes from eruption at the beginning into the, you really got me and puts a kick-ass solo in the middle of that song and uh like that 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 is one of the better songs on a debut album for what would become one of the greatest mm. bands in the history of the United States. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. The balls. Love them. Yeah. And I, you know what? I think you nailed it too, because like, it, and it's not any disrespect to the kinks. Cause I actually like the kinks, but yeah, like you're doing what you can when you, when you can, yeah. but like the kinks were a band that wrote very good songs that just, Really didn't have enough talent to be yeah. as good as some. Yeah, like they just—they're exactly. not—they're not a good band, but their songs kick ass. Like they've got a lot of good songs, you know. Um, my least favorite—I hate to be a letdown because uh, I'm not overly specific with this one. It's—it's it's three different types of covers. Okay. Oh wow! First off, I have heard knowingly one cover ever in my life of a Led Zeppelin song that I thought was any fucking good at all. Okay. And that would be Santana and Chris Cornell doing Whole Lotta Love. Almost, okay. made my, almost made my list. You know, uh, really good. Really, really good cover. Trent Reznor's Immigrant Song isn't terrible, but it didn't need to be done. Uh, <laughs> and Like most of what Trent Reznor does. Uh, my second least favorite type of cover, and I'm not super, super, like, you know, you can disagree. Nirvana covers, I don't, I've never heard a good one. Like, I've never heard a single good cover of a Nirvana song that I thought was any good at all. What about Weird Al Yankovic? Okay, one. <laughs> <laughs> There's one example. All right. uh, my third one, and it's not to say I don't like all of them, I just generally think most of them are bad, uh, is your Pop Goes Punk albums. There are some gems on there. Don't get me wrong. I, I forget who does it, but there's a good version of Little Lion Man. Uh, I believe A Day to Remember Since You've Been Gone ha- was on one of those. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it was actually for that album. Uh, that's a good cover. Like, you know. But most of these take a either a good pop song and just make them heavier, which is easy. Or takes an overly complicated song and simplifies them. And that's boring. So, um... Yeah, I, I don't like most of those. I liked them when I was a teenager, and I think that's who most of those covers are for. But going back and listening to them, I think most of them are terrible. So, uh, yeah. Okay. I think... If, Very fair. I've always had a belief. I'm, I'm picky when it comes to cover songs. If you don't definitively think that you're doing something to make this song better, don't touch it. Don't touch it. 
Because this other person wrote this song for a reason. They wrote it a certain way for a reason. And unless there's something that you think, you know what, it'd be better if you did this and you can back that up, don't touch it. Leave it alone. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, my least favorite. Look, we haven't talked about Bob Dylan yet. <laughs> I, I think everyone. Oh, no. I think everyone. Oh, no. Is really, this going this way? I think everyone no. was expecting one of us to talk about all along the Watchtower. No. Great song. Fantastic song. What I will not stand for. Oh, no. Or any of these people that decide that they have to cover Knockin' on Heaven's Door. Oh, okay. Just. Oh, wow. Bob James. Bob Dylan did it. Stop doing it. Because I was getting nervous there. Because mm. my honorable mention for my favorite was going to be Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower. Yeah, no, and I song. thought. I thought you were going to do Jimmy Dirty, and I, I don't, I, would I couldn't stand for that because I think that is the best cover ever. It probably, I think is. that it probably, right? probably is, and I was worried. No, but anyway, no, uh, I would never. I'm, I just wanted to make sure that yeah, people knew that we didn't forget about it. I stop playing this song. Bob Dylan wrote it. You're, it wasn't great to begin with. <laughs> we didn't all have to give our rendition. Eric Clapton didn't have to do a reggae version of Knock on Heaven's Door. Oh, Guns and Roses did Has, not. Time out. Time out. Okay. Remember your point. Mm. Has Eric Clapton made a good cover? Because I almost had several on my least favorite, like Cocaine. Not a fan of. Uh, I shot the sheriff. Uh, no. That that was fine the way it was. Does Layla count? Ah, uh, yeah. Even though he wrote it in a different band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the original is still better. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reggae version, knocking him door, didn't need it. Guns N' Roses, look, you're going to bust this cover out for a Freddie Mercury tribute? Like, the man has suffered. Leave him be. Avril Lavigne, what do you do? Come on. Leave, you did it, leave it alone. Um, I know you don't like Guns N' Roses. I do like the Guns N' Roses version. But I would be willing to live in a world without it. Yeah. You know? it's, 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 it was a fine Bob Dylan song. It did not need... It is the most covered song aside from... Um, uh, Blackbird by the Beatles in, in the history of recordings. That That is wild. Just, just again, stop doing it. Blackbird, no one should ever do that other than Dave Grohl when he's doing the In Memoriam at the Oscars. There you go. Precisely. Or Alter Bridge did a pretty kick-ass Yeah, they, yeah, they did. But, it was crazy that year they trot out Dave Grohl to do that. And yeah. Like, oh, Dave Grohl, he kicks ass! And then yeah. you're like, half the song you're excited it's Dave Grohl and they start rolling the fucking credits of oh, the no. people that have died. It's oh, like, no. Oh, no. Like, this is terrible. I don't yeah. want to cry right now. I don't want to cry with Dave. Yeah. Is Dave crying? I'll cry. Only if Dave is. Uh, that was our overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite song covers. Very, very poorly done. You probably are going to yell at us about all the ones we missed and all the ones that are actually good that we talked about being bad. And I don't care. It's our mm -hmm. podcast. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't care either. Don't uh, look. Just don't cover Nirvana. Just leave them alone. Leave him alone. Leave Kurt alone. Um, I have an article, I guess, coming out today, probably the same time the podcast is coming out on the high button. Um, I write about the Jets every week at the high button. I uh, Well, do you have anything to plug? You don't have anything to plug. Oh, God, no. no. I was going to say, too, because we were talking about it at the top, uh, but we never actually talked about it. Uh, I have, I'm, off, I'm off work this week. I had an eye injury. That's why the uh, episode is late. I realize how ridiculous that sounds. Um, but I have, I don't know, it wasn't fun. It's been terrible. My vision is still not 100%, and I'm hoping it eventually will be. 
Um, protect your eyes, kids. But what I'm saying is my eyesight is definitely good enough to use both eyes at the moment. And so I've been, watched a bunch of movies the last few days. Uh, I just wanted to, to give a, a couple shout-outs to some movies that we're going to be talking about uh, next month anyway. Uh, but if you have a chance to see a Promising Young Woman, starring Carrie Mulligan and Bo Burnham, Jennifer Coolidge, Alison Brie is in it, uh, Max Greenfield from New Girl is in it. Uh, he plays a scumbag, of course. Uh, really good. Really good. Best movie I've probably watched in uh, that was made in 2020. I think so far it would be my, my vote for Best Picture, other than... Uh, uh, another movie I discussed last year on the podcast, as well as today I watched News of the World, starring Tom Hanks. Ah, uh, Tom. Same director as Captain Phillips. So, of course, it was it was good. Also, Tom. It was good. Not as good as uh, Promising Young Woman. Tom guys. But, yeah, if you have a chance to watch Promising Young Woman, it's great. Uh, Carrie Mulligan uh, loses her best friend uh, to depression because she uh, was... I mean, it doesn't sound good when I say it this way, but... Uh, because she was sexually abused in uh, in university. So Carrie Mulligan is uh, not happy about that, obviously, and has decided that every weekend she's going to go to a club, pretend she's drunk, and then have a guy take her home and start trying to take advantage of her, and then she's going to fucking call them out on their shit or like try to kill them and stuff, which I think is cool as shit. One of the coolest concepts for a movie ever. It fucking kicked ass. So I uh, loved it. It's great. Nothing better than a little woman empowerment. To end yeah, the podcast. Cool, man. There you go. It's cool. Laverne Cox is in it. She's cool. Great movie. Nice. Yeah. Things I didn't think I'd be talking about in 2021. Movies of 2020. Well, <laughs> I mean, the Oscars were always going to be this year. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. Did you, did you plug your plug? Your... I did. Yeah. Okay. Then Thank we're you. we're done. I've I have nothing to plug. Okay. I gotta plug my phone in when I go home, and that's yep. about it. Plug your phone in now because the podcast is done. Well, <laughs> listen to the outro song and then mm. plug it in. There you go. Bye bye. I'm telling you, this place is perfect. You're going to make friends in no time. Get me out of here! Just eat that! Leave us alone! SUVs. We used to ride around the city streets. Only six of us, but we would pull up like we 50 deep. If you want to hang with us, you got to bring some drugs at least. Life was seen. Pull up, make a scene like it's Steve McQueen. Flights Atlantis, the drip outlandish. I just spent 10 racks and sacks fit in the standard. I ain't never asked to be this way. I ain't planning. It. it starts with good intentions. I end up doing damage. Look, I'm going to tell you how this ends before it even starts. I'm going to have to make amends after I break your heart. I'ma flirt with all your friends and then we break apart. If our story was a play, it'd be a tragedy. There's a reason why my exes all still mad at me. And that's another love I killed, another casualty. How this thing go from a blessing to catastrophe? It's a travesty. I can't help I'm it. a professional bad decision maker. I know I broke your heart, but I love you regardless. Professional bad decision maker. Know the end is the hardest, wish I could restart it. Professional bad decision maker Wish that I could be honest I love you regardless Professional bad decision maker Yeah, I'm a professional bad decision maker They should write a movie about the shit that we did 
Deviate acceptance from the drugs that we did. You think I learned from my past, but I'm a creature of habit. We had so much gone for us, man. What happened is tragic. My girl is a savage. Bad influences all around me. Drunk at bag and tail, all drunk. My table is rowdy. Had to let go of Ali. I regret it for minus. I'm draped in designer. Said I needed the one and I found her. Now she's back in Portland. Had to say this shit is important. I ruined everything I love. Man, this shit is like torture. Sorry that you had to deal with it. Rehashing old wounds. Still won't let you heal with it. Yo, you hear this shit? Yeah. Skizzy back on this shit again. 5K for the fit again. Fucked up at the win again. Me and my dogs the same like a synonym. It's ridiculous. I'm a professional bad decision maker. I know I broke your heart, but I love you regardless. Professional bad decision maker. Know the end is the hardest. Wish I could restart it. Professional bad decision maker. Wish that I could be honest. I love you regardless. Professional bad decision maker. Yeah, I'm a professional bad decision maker. 